Welcome to Scaling Up, the podcast where we celebrate Industrial Water Week together. Happy Industrial Water Week, folks. Trace Blackmore here. So excited that another year of Industrial Water Week is here. Yesterday, we celebrated pre-treatment Monday, and today is Boiler Tuesday. I am just so excited. I hope that you are just as excited about celebrating what we do when it comes to boilers as much as I am. In fact, I was so excited, I got out the dictionary to look up the word boiler. A boiler is defined as a fuel-burning apparatus or container for heating water. Well, how boring is that? That is not anything that inspires me to do anything around a boiler. I mean, that might be what it is, but I have to tell you, the boiler has been my backstage pass to some of the coolest production facilities around the world. I've seen how PVC pipe is made. I've seen how Coke bottles are made. I've seen how peanut butter is made. I have seen how Twinkies are made. Yes, nation, I hold the secret of how they get that filling inside the Twinkie. I don't know how much of a secret it is. The top of the Twinkie is really the bottom of the Twinkie as it bakes, and they inject it in three different holes when it comes out of baking. But it was very exciting for me to see. And the list goes on all because I am an industrial water treater, all because I treat the boiler. So the definition is not very sexy, but I think all the things that the boiler unlocks for us to see is extremely exciting. And I think the history of the boiler is exciting. So did you know that the boiler is the reason the Industrial Revolution was started? James Watt figured out how to get water in the form of steam to start doing the work that before only man and animal could do. James Watt is credited with inventing the steam engine back in 1763, and he made improvements to his steam engine all the way until his death. Now, Watt figured out how to harness the power of the BTU, the British Thermal Unit. And I have to say, ever since I interviewed my friend John Sanford on episode 203, who's from the UK, and told me that they do not use British thermal units, I just have to laugh. You know, BTU stands for British Thermal Unit, so where else would they use it? And insult to injury, they don't even use American thermal units over there. So it's just funny how we come up with these terms. But if you're wondering what a BTU is, It's a measure of energy. In our case, it's a measure of heat. Now, the definition is one BTU will raise one pound of water one degree Fahrenheit in one hour. Now, if you look at the energy that we can put into water and then convert that energy into work, 
it is amazing what James Watt figured out. You see, one of his steam engines could replace the same amount of work that a horse could do, or several horses could do. How many horses, you might ask? Well, that's where we get the term horsepower. So a 10 horsepower steam engine would replace the work of 10 horses. And by the way, you don't have to feed the steam engine. I guess you have to make sure the fire's there, but you don't have to clean up after it. Maybe a little bit, but not like you do a horse. And maintaining it is not like a horse getting sick. So when he introduced the steam engine and was able to let people know what it could really do, it took off quickly. And that is the reason we had the Industrial Revolution. It started everything. So much more than a fuel-burning apparatus used for heating water, it is amazing it started the Industrial Revolution. So I hope you enjoyed that history lesson about the boiler when we learn about history, it, it's especially when you apply it to what we do on a day-to-day -day basis, it's just incredible all the things that we can learn. Speaking of learning, or maybe in this case, relearning, I know so many people have let me know that you've enjoyed my walk down memory lane to past episodes, episodes of yesteryear, if you will, so we're going to hear another Detective H2O episode today. Here it is. Welcome to Detective H2O, The Case of Standing. The rain ran serpentine paths down the windows of the rusty blue Ford as Herbert Henry Oxidane, PICWT, set waiting on Johnny Keelan to open the side powerhouse door of Pork Billy's processing. When the lanky man's shaggy head popped out, the water detective made a run for it, dodging raindrops best he could. Shaking buckets of water from his coat, Detective H2O said, I'm here, so what's going on, Johnny? I got here as fast as my bald tires would slide me. Glad you made it, Detective H2O. These boilers aren't doing good right now. The connectivity is through the roof. Higher than my grandma that time she ate those special brownies. How high? Well, she danced on the tables at the nursing home. Not your grandma, the boiler connectivities. They're over 10,000 microsiemens. The connectivity meter is pegged out. Detective H2O whistled. <whistles> that is high. What's happening? Any idea? None, but the RO permeate storage tank is at 1,500 microsiemens too. How's that possible? City water is only a few hundred microsiemens, and the RO drops it down to less than 10 typically. It's a real head-scratcher, this one is. And you don't feed any alkalinity booster or anything to the RO permeate storage tank, do you? No, nothing like that. How about your dechlorination feed, upstream of the RO? Is it malfunctioning and grossly overfeeding? No, I thought of that already. It has the same setting as always. I even watched and listened to the pump. Seemed the same as always as it pumped away. Checking the RO feed water conductivity after the pre-filters was the same as always, too. It's a mystery. Don't you return condensate to this RO permeate storage tank, too? 
I've always said you should rename this tank the RL Permeate and Condensate Storage Tank. Yes, we do, said Johnny as the thought slowly dawned upon him. Follow me, Johnny, said the water detective as he led the way through the maze of pipes and equipment. Five minutes later, he stood in front of the condensate polishers. Picking up the water treatment log sheets, Detective H2O saw that unit number two had come online just a few hours ago. What is it, Detective? Can we put this unit into manual regeneration right now? Uh, yes, but it just came online this morning. It shouldn't be anywhere near time for a regeneration. I realize that. Just humor me a little. Okay, here goes. Unit number one coming back online. Unit number two going offline and starting the backwash sequence. The water detective stood there beside Johnny, watching the regeneration water flow to the drain. The backwash stopped and the brine draw started. The brine level dropped as expected. Then the slow rinse step started. Aha! exclaimed Detective H2O, uncharacteristically. Quick! Go get that connectivity meter you use! Johnny ran off quick as a whip and returned shortly after with a black analog connectivity meter. What are we going to measure? There's no water coming out. I know. That's just as I suspected. Just wait. Several minutes later, water flow to the drain started again as the fast rinse step started. Detective H2O took the connectivity meter and measured the fast rinse each minute for the 15 minutes of the rinse. That's it. Fix that valve right there. That'll fix your boiler connectivities. Wait, what? Why that valve? How will that fix the boilers? As you saw, no water was flowing during the slow rinse step. The valve must not be functioning properly. Since the condensate polisher did not go through a slow rinse, all the salt and any exchanged ions did not get rinsed out of the polishing vessel. Even though it went through a fast rinse step, the connectivity only got down to 3,000 microsiemens at the end of this regeneration. When unit number two comes back online, it will be feeding this high conductivity water straight to the RO permeate storage tank, with the next stop being the boiler system. We found our culprit. Wow, Detective H2O. Let me check out that slow wrench valve. Sure enough, the valve was not functioning properly and was rebuilt. With increased blowdown and a little time, the boiler conductivities and RO permeate storage tank conductivity returned to normal. A week later, as Detective H2O was sitting at his oak desk, listening to the rain and thunder, his phone rang once, twice, three times before he answered. <coughs> Detective H2O here, the best water treater this side of the Ohio, solving water problems drop by drop. What you got? Detective, this is Marty Cochran down at Pork Billy's Processing. I've got a bone to pick with you. This bill you sent is outrageous. Johnny tells me you were here for only an hour, stood looking at one piece of equipment, took a few readings, and left. Why would you charge such an outrageous fee for only that? Well, $10 of the bill was for the gas to get to your plant. See, my Ford is a little gas-hungry. The rest isn't just for standing there, as he said. The rest is for knowing where to stand. You're welcome. In the underbelly and penthouses of the metropolis of Waterville, where the boilers percolate and cooling towers fog, 
There is one man who works tirelessly to end corrosion, stop scale, fight low-life microbes, and conserve water. That man is Detective H2O, best water treater this side of the Ohio, solving water problems drop by drop. So on our journey back to industrial water weeks of yesteryear, I'm going to speak with one of my mentors, Bruce Ketrick. Now, this was back in episode 51 that originally aired October 2nd, 2018. Bruce is one of those people that has, has really always been there for me. And he's one of those people that has just seen the weirdest things. And when I look at something and I have no idea what I'm looking at, nine times out of 10, Bruce is going to know exactly what I'm looking at, and he can counsel me through what I need to do next. Here's Bruce. Bruce, what are some of your favorite boiler resources? My favorite boiler resources? Yeah, so what books do you go to when, because you know everything, so you don't have to go to books, but somebody like me, and no. I have to go reference something, what do you recommend? I would say the GRTM. How's that one? All right, well, that's definitely a good one. Uh, anything else you can think of? Yeah, I, I mean, I have, I'm a book collector. I've got Dalco's book. I've got three different versions of uh, the Betts book. I've got the Drew book from uh, 30 years ago. There's a permuted book that went out of uh, publication 50 years ago, which probably has more information on actual corrosion cycles and reactions than uh, anything else that's out there. They handed out a, a little pocketbook that has every type of reaction and detail you can think of, which doesn't exist in publication anywhere else. And unfortunately, some of the, the things I look at um, are held together with spit glue and scotch tape. Nation, I would not be the water treater I am today without all of the people that I consider mentors. If you don't have a mentor, you're missing out. And I urge you to ask somebody to mentor you. Now, on the other side of that, if you are not mentoring somebody, you are also missing out. And I hope you start both of those today. Our next flashback takes us back to some of our most listened to episodes in the Scaling Up H2O library. I did three episodes about filming a means that was episode 89, 90, and 91. These are the episodes where friend of show, Meredith Kribari, shared everything we wanted to know about filming a means. In fact, I want the Scaling Up Nation to know that I normally have a few questions that I ask of my guests, and Meredy and I went through those very quickly, and we just kept coming up with more and more things to talk about. So I had scheduled on my calendar for about 45 minutes for that episode, and it was well over three hours. We just kept going. In fact, Meredith asked me at one point, she goes, I can't believe we've been going so long. There's so much more we can talk about, but please, can we take a bathroom break? So there's a little behind the scenes that nobody knew about. With that, 
Here is the episode that originally aired on June 14th, 2009, episode 90. Now I have a boiler that's on a phosphate program and I decide that I want to change that over to a filming amine program. What do I need to know and what do I need to do? So my answer is going to go in two different directions. If we are in a low pressure, non-critical environment, so a, a CNI, if we're in a hospital or if we're in an office building or a school or I don't know, um, pick a low pressure environment, then my answer is actually just turn the conventional chemistry off and turn your filming technology on. There's a million different types of chemistry out there. There's so many different formulations. Everybody's got niche options for all intents and purposes, filming means don't usually have a negative interaction with other types of uh, boiler chemistries. However, I don't want to say it's not possible. And so easiest answer, both um, in practical application and economically is turn one off, let's turn the other one on, and let's get the system turned over. The flip side of that is high pressure, high temperature, critical operating environments, right? And in that regard, I would actually refer everyone to um, a document. It's called Tech- <laughs> it's Technical Guidance Document 8, put out by the International Association of Properties of Water and Steam. It's free and available online. They have all sorts of different technical guidance documents. But it is, I mean, it's truly an international collaborative by the top professionals within an industry on how to apply spe- different types of applications. So there's one specifically on filming and means. Um, so it walks you through the process. You will learn a lot about filming and means and nomenclature, probably you know more in depth of what we basically worked through last week. But then also it talks you through a bunch of different type of applications, whether it's biomass plants or nuclear facilities or, you know, pick your favorite high temperature, high pressure environment. And it will talk you through the ins and outs of turning one chemical program off and bringing another chemical program on. In our experience, I truly believe that turning one off and turning the other on is is in your best interest, especially for the majority of the AWT marketplace. But if you want more details and just Um, to be able to think a little more critically, I would refer you to that document um, because I think it will be an asset to you in your understanding and application. Another episode that I know the members of the Scaling Up Nation really liked, I know that because you told me, was an episode we recently did about tannins. Friend of show, Louis Cloutier of TGWT, joined us on episode 191, and that aired earlier this year, April 23rd. Let's say if you look at the tannin by themselves, they replace the two products that you're using. They replace your sulfite and they will replace your polymer slash dispersant that you're going to use. So so if you look at tannin, there's a, a... a tropolone group to it, and that group will will take care of scavenge oxygen. And if you look at the reaction curve of tannin and oxygen, it's uh, really, really a, uh, almost a copy of the the catalyzed sulfide curve. It will react faster with pH and faster with temperature. So it's really, really similar in that that fact. And you're going to use a little less tannin to do the same job as the sulfide. For the polymer part, tannin have the, uh, the 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 property to 
to disperse and avoid deposition in a boiler. But it's one also of the the only boiler product that will also have an effect on chelating chelating on the surface. So it, it will. Um, that was the last paper we did at AWT last year. We were able to prove that tannin will interlink with the magnetite and form a, a thinner and and more robo- robust film on metal than than the usual because conventional product will create the right environment for the magnetite film to form, but it will they won't have any effect on the magnetite itself, you know. So and when you look at how magnetite behave, it's gonna at one point larger crystals are pushing out and, and you're gonna have exposed surface from time to time all over the boiler. You know, it's just a, a continuous movement. Everything's gonna be covered back, but uh, and when you add tannin to that mix, the film is really even on the surface, and and you really need to scrub it off if you if you want to get rid of it. And then the the last part is condensate treatment. So some of the people in US use tannin to replace polymer and sulfite, and they keep their amines to treat their condensate. But we also have, a, like I was telling earlier, a product that's all in one where we add ammonia. And then ammonia will treat will be the part that will be volatile in the steam to treat the condensate. And and why we picked uh, ammonia for dairies, but also because the distribution ratio of ammonia is is one of the highest. So it's a, a true um, product that's working really well in almost all environments. Scaling Up Nation, if you are driving right now, make sure that the next time you pull over, you register for this valuable roundtable discussion. Make sure you write down scalinguph2o.com forward slash update. Our supply chain is going through some major changes, changes that you need to be aware of so we can make sure we make the best decisions about how we're going to get tomorrow's product. Again, go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash update to register for our roundtable discussion that we are going to have on October 14th at 5 p.m. Nation, you need to know this valuable information so you can make better decisions. Well, we definitely cannot wrap up today's show without giving you the next James's mini challenge. Here's James. Hello, Scaling Up Nation, and happy Industrial Water Week. Today's Boiler Tuesday, James's mini challenge is... Post a picture of a fire tube, a water tube boiler, from an interesting angle. You get extra points for snapping an inside photo during an inspection. There are so many boiler designs and sizes out there. What may be normal to you may be interesting to someone in another part of the world. Feel free to draw from photos you may have stored away as well. Most of all, be sure to share your pictures on LinkedIn and other social media by tagging it with hashtag IWW21 and hashtag ScalingUpH2O. This is James McDonald, and I look forward to seeing what you share. Scaling Up Nation, I love to celebrate Industrial Water Week with all of you But I'd love to see you too. So here's your challenge from Trace Blackmore 
for this week. Take a picture next to your favorite boiler and hashtag it to IWW21 and hashtag scaling up H2O. I'd love to see that. And I would love for you to join me tomorrow as we celebrate Cooling Wednesday. Have a great Boiler Tuesday, folks. Nation, as we talk about boilers, I'm thinking of all the people in my career that have helped me solve problems that I didn't know how to take the first step. And that's something that I tried to create when we started the Rising Tide Mastermind. Now we talk about technical issues, but we also talk about any issue we need to talk about that needs to get solved. We have a special issue solving track that is meant to get down to the root of the issue. So we're not talking about a symptom of an issue. We're talking about the real issue. If you are tired of doing life alone, and let's face it, life is just too short to do it on your own. Try to have a group of directors that can help you with mistakes that they've already made so you don't have to suffer through them on your own. If that sounds good to you, go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind. I'd love to have a conversation with you about the Rising Tide Mastermind. <laughs>